and welcome to My Rural Tribe, the podcast that celebrates all things rural, the people that live and work within it and whose passion I find inspiring. I'm your host, Sean Mercer, photographer by day, podcaster by night, with a lifelong joy and passion for all things farming. I come from a family of farmers and have worked within the industry. To me, farming is my history, it's in my blood, and I bring you this podcast to share insight into this world that I just love and find so inspiring. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Today I'm speaking with Sam Kenyon, who is Glanflin underscore farm her on Instagram. I really like seeing her Instagram post and following her life on the farm in North Wales, seeing the goats and sheep and also following her journey of working with nature to farm sustainably whilst improving the soil and conservation and following her instincts to farm the best way for her farm and for her livestock. So let's go and say hello to Sam. So welcome Sam. Hi. How are you on this lovely sunny day? Yeah, it's good to have an excuse to sit down. So yeah. <laughs> it's my pleasure anytime. Always good to have a sit in the sun and a nice chat, I find. <laughs> Especially at the moment. Oh, yeah, true. I bet they love it. I find goats are just comedy value. <laughs> not wrong. So, um, so tell me about your farm that you've got at the moment. So, um, what's what? What are you doing there in um, Denbyshire? I'm trying to build the place up. Um, so it's small acreage at the moment. Most of it is tenanted in uh, maize and slowly taking fields back in hand and putting them back to permanent pasture. So we're on the banks of the River Elwy and I figured the most resilient thing I can grow here is grass, um, just for soil erosion issues that we have here. Um, We've also got uh, 60 acres of planted over ancient woodland, which have been a bit neglected, so we've started work on those. Tell me, what, what about your livestock? What have you got on the farm? So livestock, I've, I've got the sheep, which is where uh, which is where my heart is really, uh, with the shepherdessing work. And um, but we've also got we've got this herd of goats, and I laugh because they're so demanding and such characters. Um, but we sort of we diversified because we came to the place just after Brexit vote went through. And there was a lot of negativity about sheep farming and the future of sheep farming, especially if there was going to be tariffs imposed. So we sort of looked at the farmyard and we had these old buildings and it was sort of a question of what could we keep in them livestock wise that would suit them. And, you know, with these old buildings, there's not much or not as much ventilation as we we now know we need. Um, so they weren't suitable for the sheep. Um, so yeah, we diversified into goats. They just sort of tick the boxes. And what do you do with the goats? Are they, are they just for meat or breeding? Yeah, yeah. So I rear them for meat. Most people are surprised about that. Um, they expect me to say uh, that I rear them for milk, that I'm milking them. But because I was already milking um, off farm as a relief milker, I couldn't couldn't be sort of in two places at once and I didn't really want the commitment of milking all year round for myself didn't want to take my energies away from the sheep so um yeah I keep them for meat I rear them for meat they're slow growing 
it's a really lean meat nutrition wise it's on a par with venison though so it's really low cholesterol really high protein um yeah and they've just sort of breathed life back into the old yard really oh that's nice then that they brought their humor and uh, benefits <laughs> with them yeah are they quite naughty though yeah you do need a good sense of humor with them they're quite <laughs> quite demanding they're not so naughty if you meet their demands so what sort of demands do they do they want champagne and you know <laughs> truffles and stuff oh let's not mention that with an earshot of them yeah they'll get ideas yeah no it's that's funny and but like as soon as it starts spitting like with rain outside say they're like hens they just run for cover <laughs> um Yeah, so they can just like turn it around once they've got that really good care and attention. Yeah, yeah, they totally turn it around. It's been really interesting. Um, sort of, I know it sounds maybe a bit corny, but they're such good teachers, like compared to sheep, who are sometimes a bit like, look, just leave us alone and we'll get on with our job if you get on with yours. <laughs> yeah. um, and the, the goats, don't get me wrong, they're super tough, but. Um, they do respond so quick to that extra level of care. They really have taught me a lot about keeping livestock. Okay, like what sort of things then? Can you expand on that a bit more? I didn't realise how bad bullying affected some animals. Bullying, bullying within the herd, from where you've got different ages kept together, and also just bullying between, even between the same age groups. And you wouldn't say that I'm overstocked with them, you know, there's plenty of room. But it's just interesting to see how that plays out within a herd, like the behaviour um, and the traits within a herd and how it can affect and bring down the whole sort of, almost the whole sort of mood of the herd. And then how that impacts them with coming to feed and basically just growing well and staying healthy. Mm. Because yeah, I suppose you wouldn't maybe notice it so much with the low demanding sheep, <laughs> would you? Um, and, and I suppose if you're keeping, you know, hundreds of animals in a herd or a flock, maybe it's everyone just sort of bumbles along together a bit more uh, plainly. Whereas in such a small number, it really stands out and you can see how quickly they can go downhill if you've got, say, a matriarch doe that's in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> She's taking it out on everybody, is she? <laughs> yeah. Brings everybody down. <laughs> She's taking it out on the farmer, that's for sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what about the sheep then? Yeah, the sheep are lovely. Um, <laughs> And then I, as I say, I've expanded into the uh, white-faced 
Welsh mule, which really suits our land so much better because we're so low here and wet in the winter. They just seem to cope much better with that. They seem to be um, better on their feet. And yeah, so I buy, I buy the old Welsh ewes from around Bala, just further down the county yeah. from, from the hill farmers and then um, put my blue face Leicester on them. So yeah, we're slow growing. We're definitely small numbers and small acreage at the moment, but we're going in the right direction. That's fantastic. It's good. Like you say, it's only been what, well, I don't know, when was Brexit? Two, three years now? Was it? I can't. Time sort of yeah. goes, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. Well, yes, I think most people would. <laughs> yeah, we've been here for three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So, so, at least, yeah, you're going in the right way then with getting the numbers and getting the land back and what have you. Yeah, and getting the breed to suit the land. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is for me um, here, I think, um, because of our land isn't as forgiving in winter as it could be um, with erosion problems and in the summer it's a bit of a sun trap and then by winter we're either flooded or it's a little frost pocket so it was it was really important to me to find the breed that was going to make life a whole lot easier and happier for everyone concerned (laughs) yeah and how did you find that breed is that through researching or talking to your neighbours I know I went, I was working on a lot of other farms um, for the first two years here, two and a half years. I was working all over the place and it was going around to other farms and just sort of mentally comparing um, their land and their breeds and how they reacted and the problems that I was seeing or the the positives I was seeing. Um, So yeah, I just sort of picked it up from there and brought it home with me. Excellent. That sounds uh the best way to do it really is like learning and picking up isn't it the like you say the positives and also seeing the negatives and then just working it out isn't it yeah and also talking to lots of other farmers so getting loads of advice but only really picking out the bits that were going to suit our place here yeah yeah it it was really invaluable actually oh perfect that's a yeah good learning um tool there isn't it (laughs) Ask the questions, see, get involved, get the experience. So are you from a farming background? Yes, um, Dad worked all my life on the same farm uh, down in Sussex. It was a thousand acre council farm. Um, it was dairy and arable. And then after foot and mouth, it was um, just arable with a few sucker cows, beef animals. Um, they sold the dairy herd uh, and went into a farm shop. They diversified into a farm shop instead. So, yeah, that's my background. Okay. So you um, were you always out on the farm then and helping? Or were you allowed to if it was his like, employment as opposed to a f- the family farm? No, and our tied cottage wasn't on the farm. So my brother was up there um, quite a bit and he was quite involved. I was when I was younger and my mum used to rear the calves for the dairy unit yeah. uh, so I was always up there then and she also did contract shepherdess work so I was always out and about with her um, whenever there was sheep work um, but no I was just never interested in the arable side of it it was just such massive machinery and it just seemed a bit boring to me yeah I think it's you're either one or the other aren't you it's either the livestock or the sort of the machines and the arable side 
Seems definitely that case for me yeah yeah <laughs> so um i know that you um you say you've just come back to the the area with your husband and what have you but you said like you did a lot of backpacking for a few years yeah so um 2011 i took off on my big around the world trip for a year i sort of i'd come out of a not not a great relationship and sworn off men and um was traveling and i met this guy only sort of three months into my travels anyway was not interested just doing the whole <laughs> independent me thing um and carried on on my travels and then um, but we kept in touch because of the scuba diving that i got into and he knew loads of great places in australia to go he was really experienced because he'd been out for about well about 10 years i think just short of 10 years so he, he knew really great places to go especially if you're on a budget um so we kept in touch a bit and then was it 18 months later we met up once we were both back in the uk and i wasn't quite so anti-men <laughs> He managed to win you over then. Yeah. <laughs> Fair play to him. Um, so what did you sort of learn on your backpacking trip then? Was there anything that you sort of learned and brought back with you? Yeah, I gained a load of confidence in myself. Um, for I didn't, I didn't sort of realise how logical and quick thinking are. But when you're out there and something happens, like you're in the middle of Thailand and they just cancel all the trains or whatever and you've got somewhere to get to and you haven't got a hostel and you're in somewhere feeling quite, quite alienated, you get really good at thinking on your feet. And um, so yeah, I got a load of confidence from travelling. I saw a lot of industrialisation or building upon areas that you, you just couldn't believe they were building they were building on so like there were towns going up in places that that just looked like amazing um ecosystems and habitats yeah it just was really shocking and um the the effect of the infrastructure on the land and of course then that would run out to the sea and with the diving you would notice it so all, all the sort of blue planet heights that i was when david attenborough was on tv with that mm. you, you kind of saw that all firsthand back in 2011 2012 um just happening right in front of you and it just sort of seemed like we can't expect someone to um save the place for us um, so if we want to see changes we need to be the change but at this point i didn't know i didn't know that i was going to marry someone who had who had this place <laughs> I thought I was just going to go home and recycle lots and reuse. <laughs> Damn, that would have been a lot easier, surely. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a lot cheaper. Yeah, maybe not so much fun though. Just putting your recycling box out every other week. <laughs> so what did? So obviously you were in, um, saw these things happening um, abroad and on your travels, and then you came home, and then have ended in North, up in North Wales. So what those lessons that you learned or your the things that you saw, how are they now transferring um, into the farm and what you're wanting to achieve on the farm? 
I suppose it's ironic that we've ended up somewhere on a river. So every time it rains and you see the soil, the soil washing out, you see the river turn brown, you know that that's land just washing out. And I've seen obviously what that does out at sea um, and in the river mouth. And not only that, it's just now that I'm trying to produce food, I just can't understand the sense in, in trying to sort of um, wash the land away quicker. There seems to be a lot of intensification. Mm. And to me, that's just seeing the land wash away quicker. And we're not going to get any more of it. We're not making any more of it. And sea levels are rising. So we can't understand the logic about intensifying. And they came home and, and saw that we could really implement some uh, regenerative practices. I was just, oh, I need to be all over that, really. Just need to be that change that I said about. What is the change that you're bringing to your farm then? Obviously by taking some of the maize fields back in hand, putting them back into permanent pasture, we won't be having bare soil throughout the winter. Um, also I've noticed that when we do get the floods with the heavy rains, the field edges on the ploughed fields, um, they're the ones that wash away. So the fields that are in grass are so much more resilient, like you don't lose the soil. Yeah actually gain growing conditions because um of all the silt that's left on them then when spring comes the grass sort of takes off with all the nutrients that have washed onto it that's one change is by returning it to permanent pasture um another change is the woodlands they're really they're a bit neglected and we've got lots of like um upper canopy yeah. so We've got lots of mature trees and we haven't got any light getting or hardly any light getting through to the woodland floor so we don't get any regeneration or any regrowth which was something i was told about on a like a tourist trail near cairns in australia they had the same thing going on there in, in a bit of forest there and they said that nature will sort it out for them and that it will come through with like a hurricane or something and knock a load of trees down and then suddenly you've got light and i was just here thinking i don't want um devastation to happen i want us <laughs> to manage it and um to sort of reap the benefits of that as well so yeah we started thinning uh, we started thinning in one block this winter and have you seen uh, regeneration already i've seen a lot more bluebells oh um, lovely yeah, so hopefully give it a chance and we'll see some saplings come up. We've had um, an ecologist and a woodland expert come and have a look and they reckon we've got a real wealth of like a, a seed bed within the woodland floor, just a natural seed bed that hopefully we won't need to do any replanting. It will just spring up and then we've just got to protect it from the deer. Well, that sounds great though. It uh, sounds really interesting. And have you been um, like planting hedgerows or making new like ponds or water areas or is the river enough on the on the water? <laughs> the river's enough because February's still too much of a fresh memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the hedge planting, I ordered a load of hedges and then with the virus they didn't arrive until too late. So oh. I've just dug them in into the bottom of the garden at the moment to keep them healthy. And then at the start of next winter, I shall plant them out. It just went so dry so quick mm. and they arrived late. So it was a bit like I'd missed my opportunity. And where I want to plant the hedges too far for me to carry water. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, it makes sense just to leave it till we get a bit of moisture back because it did, didn't it? All that rain for practically a year and then <laughs> nothing for <laughs> six weeks. It just dried out. It's like so quickly. It was just like capped everything, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it was crazy. So, but uh, have you had some rain recently though? Uh, we had a little smattering of rain after uh, some grass seed went in, so that's good. Good. It's <laughs> always the positive. Yeah, yeah, we haven't had enough, but um, but the less rain we have, the happier the goats are. So yeah, someone's happy. Yeah, yeah, that's good. As long as the goats are happy, everyone's <laughs> happy. Is that like the uh, mantra of the farm? Is it? Uh, yeah, Alex's mantra is um, happy livestock, happy, happy wife. <laughs> ah, well, that's good. He, at least he's learned that one. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get him progressing onto happy soil, happy wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, what are you doing for your soil then? noticed on instagram you've just you've just reseeded haven't you it was with a cotswold seed mix for a herbal way for grazing and cutting yeah yeah so yeah i hope to lightly graze that this year let that tiller out and then hopefully take first cut hay off of it next year fantastic sounds good go to ag college no so i, I didn't go to ag college but i studied animal care and management for um then progressing on to being a veterinary nurse but I worked in veterinary practice for two and a half years maybe three years and discovered I didn't like working indoors with a big group of women um, <laughs> which is ironic considering how much I like milking um, <laughs> they just don't talk or gossip <laughs> yeah at least if they're in a room they just kick you know where you stand um, <laughs> but um, yeah so I, I dipped out of that career decision pretty soon so no everything i'm learning is a lot of it is actually through farming connect it's really good resource resource that they've got here in wales it's amazing like i really can't um sort of sing it sing its praises enough i've learned so much through it but also from talking to other farmers have you got like a group of farmers um locally that you're talking with or is it people you're meeting say on instagram because they're sort of a good group of people on there yeah i have got more confident asking people on instagram that i've never even met just um sort of like oh what are you doing and why and how um but mostly it's talking to other farmers like so where i go around doing milk recording for nmr um i get the chance to speak to farmers and quiz them and well grill them where am i going wrong and how do i make it right so it's just like drawing off of their experience and seriously they have just been amazingly patient with me and they share so much information with me um, and the other thing is there's a group of us female farmers in the area and we are always comparing success stories and 
um, the non-successful story um, are sort of failures and we're really good at sharing stuff that we've learned and sort of advising each other. That sounds fantastic having a group like that. Um, having that openness to feel confident in sharing the successes and also the not so successes as well. Um, <laughs> how long has that group been going? Two and a half years. Yeah, that was a thing through, we met through, farm. well, we, we kind of knew of each other, but um, yeah, we met through Farming Connect, um, through an aquascope group with them, um. and we've all kept in touch. Oh, perfect. That sounds great. Mm. Um, and you, um, again, I noticed again on one of your Instagram posts the other day, you mm. said that you're always asking why, and like that curiosity. So where yeah. does that curiosity come from? Is that something you've always had, or is it something that you've developed? No, you know, I didn't know. My dad used to do the same, and um, people said, um, "Oh, I miss him," just coming up and asking why. <laughs> it was, you know, he wasn't just being a nosy bugger. He was genuinely interested um, what they were doing and why. And I think I must have picked it up from there because I've, I think I've always done it. <laughs> I've been annoying like that. <laughs> but uh, it's not annoying because you're. Uh, people like to be asked I think and they like to give their their knowledge don't they yeah and and um, especially it's really nice living up here where everyone has so much time to talk I feel like um, it's much nicer than being um, down south I feel everything is so busy and so much more intense and people don't make the time to talk so it's it's um, not a bad habit to have living up here where folks like to make time and be welcoming no I, yeah that's what I say I miss that my parents are in um, Carmarthenshire and um, I haven't been home now for months because of this but um, yeah I just miss that standing on the, the you know the edge of the road and having a chat with someone as they've driven past and it can be a chat for a few minutes or longer depending if there's a car eventually comes along to move <laughs> them on or what have you but it's just that sense um yeah just having the time to stop and talk which um is really important I think and it's such a, a privilege to be able to have as well yeah it is so totally important and especially um if you can have a bit of a tendency to get so busy that you isolate yourself yeah yeah um, and I suppose like in one way you're lucky because you are, how often are you out with NMR? Is that every day or just a few oh, days? Oh no, <laughs> no they couldn't go with that. Um, <laughs> no, once or twice a week. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's good for you to get off farm and then see the other people as well. Yeah. See your yeah. farmers. Yeah, it definitely helps keep keep you um, like healthy in the head because otherwise you can get too bogged down with just your own farm and it's nice to get away from the place and then come back and appreciate it more. Who or what inspires you then? Uh, my dad would be the who and the what would be nature. What was it uh, or what is it about your dad that inspired you? Well, I haven't met many people like him from working on the farms that I've been on that could turn their hand to so many different jobs and his patience was just on another level whether it was with livestock or me or <laughs> with, with staff other staff on the farm or with even with customers in the farm shop he just had the time and 
made the time and he i don't know just you know he was he was milking cows one minute and then he was fixing something broken the next and then he was out plowing you know that afternoon and I, yeah, just totally inspiring. I, I kind of feel like sometimes there's a bit of a divide in that people want to be on machinery or they want to be milking and, and they want it to be fast-paced milking. So, it, yeah, he just inspired me because he just always had time and yet he seemed to get through everything almost quicker. Yeah, sometimes uh, slowing down, you can achieve more in one way, isn't it? Because you're just focusing. Do you think it was because he was maybe focused on that one job, get that done properly? finish and then move on to the next one yeah probably he was really focused and um wasn't easily distracted <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> you tried <laughs> did you <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah and he had like a degree of loyalty to his job um that i i just haven't seen really in many at all it was it was quite incredible yeah that's lovely and what uh, um the what so the nature and about inspiring you what inspires you about nature and the seasons um i guess again is that like say mother nature she never rushes anything and yet she gets everything accomplished and i, love that. I just um might sound a bit corny but it doesn't seem to matter what we do, how we interfere, um, how we try to manage nature. It's always going to find its own way. So actually, I'd much rather work with it um, and encompass it as much as I can on a practical level into the farm and into growing food and into the health of my livestock. That makes sense yeah no i was just thinking i just thought it was uh just a lovely thing that you said really um because it is isn't it? it she always gets it done yeah regardless the always, yeah the seasons they always change it doesn't yeah it's crazy the rain always comes sometimes a bit too much <laughs> yeah. but still the flowers um you know came out the bluebells have come out the leaves isn't it you know still everything happened although there's all that rain and for you the flooding and yet things have still grown that's it and the pollinators are out doing what they do best um yeah the lambs have got full bellies the sheep are all right no one's lame now that it's going dry it's well now that it's dry um, yeah, it's just amazing, really. Mm. So that's why I love um, the UK, really, because I've sort of been on the travels as well, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I could live in Australia. But one of the things that, like, the reasons I wouldn't is because of the seasons. I so know what you mean. I miss the seasons so much. When we were living in Southeast Asia, it was... Um... I'm not going to say it was like a hardship living in a shed on a beach, but... Um... <laughs> Yeah, the seasons, I miss them. I miss the the uh, lighter evenings as well. Yeah. You sort of forget that. I, I always forget that whenever I've been to like the Southern Hemisphere, it's like, why is it dark? <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's 10 o'clock, it's pitch black, what's going on? And you're sort of, UK, it's still lightish, isn't it? And yeah, I miss that. I mean, it's lovely being able to step outside and, you know, your shorts and a T-shirt every day, knowing that's all you need. How long were you living in Thailand for? Um, I think only six months. 
Alex had been out there about six years and then I was out there six months and then it was just a bit too busy and touristy where we were for me so we went to Borneo and we went and lived and worked on an island there. I think we were there for sort of six months because you got two seasons, you got to work there for sort of two seasons. Um, so, well, two of what they call a season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was six months there and then we went off traveling again and then it just got to a point where um we felt like we were the oldest backpackers out there so uh, it started to feel like it was time to come home yeah and how how was that for alex and if he'd been out there for six years or so was, that was quite a change for him then yeah uh, it was a massive change but he's a bit um older than me and i think he felt the age thing more than me and he knew he had this place, so um, now I understand that um, he knew he had responsibilities to come back to and to sort of apply himself to. So it sort of just came to that like natural time to head home and do the next stage. Yeah, we sort of we both had the confidence that if it wasn't going to work here, we could go back, and we were both we both feel absolutely at home in Australia. Alex spent sort of four years on and off there. But then, of course, we came here. We came home, and and then that's when he let slip that there was this place. I love that. Oh yeah. By the way, <laughs> just, yeah. just a small matter. He said that um, there that there was a cottage by the river that sometimes flooded, and that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> if she still wants me, then she'll still she'll want definitely want like the sound of the farm attached to it. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned? Not to give up and to not doubt yourself okay don't get so full of yourself like you think you're not going to be wrong but just not to doubt yourself and just to trust your gut your gut instinct because at the end of the day if it's if it's your place you're the one that's got to live with your decisions and yeah I think that's probably been my biggest lesson because I, at first I tried to do everything to sort of please um, either the going trend or a bit of peer pressure or sort of please others in the area so oh yeah they would approve of what she's doing there on her farm and now I'm just like no just go with your own gut instincts and, and make it work for you. And has that you know have you seen improvements since you started just doing what is right for you and your farm and your gut instinct yeah yeah um definitely i've seen improvements in the stock because i'm not trying to make a square peg fit around hole i've seen improvements out in the fields with less um weeds and more grass and of course that's what i need for feeding the livestock and I've seen improvements. I'm not saying that it's all been brilliant and rosy. I'm not going to mention the failures, but there's been enough improvements like to, to keep me going, believing that I am doing the right thing. And do you think that belief has, has that come with maybe just getting older or just that growing in confidence from you know, what you're learning or from the work that you've done off farm and then bringing back or... Where has that that self-belief come from? Um, I think to a level it was there just with age. Um, I wouldn't have had it in my 20s. And so being in my mid to late 30s, it's, it's definitely grown. 
it's grown a lot from working on other farms and um, bringing um, experiences home with me. Um, and it's grown from making mistakes and really messing up and then, but then being able to put it right, which is the bit I didn't think I'd be capable of. Um, so yeah, and having a great relationship with Yvette, that has just been massive for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 talking to other farmers that <laughs> that um, are really happy to see someone young do uh, like do well or making a go of it. Um, yeah, there is some great support out there. So yeah, it's a bit of confidence from all over, I suppose. That's good. It's all like, yeah, just accumulates into the one person, which is you, isn't it? So it comes from many places, which is fantastic. Really nice. When did you realise you wanted to be a farmer? Probably a year after moving in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we moved in and I didn't have the confidence to do it and I was going off working um, everywhere else and well all over the place and um working from before sun up till after sundown and then just coming home to my six pet herd wrecks thinking this is bonkers why am i working hard on everyone else's farm and why do i think i can't do it for myself so i took back another field and made that work and then i took back another one and made that work and made some mistakes made it work again and um yeah, had a really good crop of hay, which I know is so much down to the weather and that, but that was a, another little winner for me. I know for some farmers, this will all be like small fry that it's just water products back. But for me, it was just like, yes, okay, let's carry on and take another field. They, cause they're, ten- they're your wins though, aren't they? It doesn't- they are, my tenant is lovely. I've just got to say at this point, he's brilliant for putting up with me and he's really supportive. <laughs> Did anyone ever tell you that you couldn't do something? No, um, but it, back home it was sort of jobs for the boys. So, like, I helped Dad milk a bit when we had the um, when we had the dairy herd. But the main main of the jobs, which because so much of it was arable, was kind of for the boys. So, um, no, no one told me I couldn't. But I. There was a lack of interest on my side and there was a lack of interest in them involving me on that side as well. So yeah. short answer, no. I guess you could say I wasn't encouraged into all parts of the barn. Yeah, I suppose maybe if the foot and mouth hadn't happened and the dairy cows had stayed potentially more encouragement, you know, or feeding the cows, but then I suppose once it goes into more of the arable side and without having the interest in the machinery and what have you it is isn't it it's uh, um not quite as good fit as it could be if you were interested in the tractors and what have you yeah that's it i, I met someone recently who's um uh trying to find a way of sort of changing part of the farm business to keep his daughters um interested and i just could have hugged him i really could he was <laughs> I, I just thought that was so insightful. Instead of being sort of like, no, this is how we do it, and if you don't like it, you better go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> find, some, find yourself some work. I just thought it was really insightful that he, like he says, he's worked hard all his life for all his kids, no matter 
you know, whether they're male, female, wants to drive tractors or wants to do this, that or the other. And I was just so amazed at his attitude to, to just finding a sort of diversification that would keep his daughters interested and on the farm and so the choice was there for them. And then if they did go to college and want to do something else, then, you know, they had the option, but at least it was there for them. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's yeah, like you say, just give that man a hug because it is happening, but it is slowly to happen, isn't it? There's still the, you know, it's the son, the male line is expected to work on the farm regardless actually if they want to or not as well you still see that I think as well and the sort of daughters encouraged to go off and find work away from the farm yeah I think a lot of dads want well mine especially wanted what he perceived to be better for me yeah Um, regular hours um, more secure income pension Um, (laughs) healthcare yeah yeah. yeah, that sort of thing Um, weekends off yeah Um, but it's not for everyone what uh, what words of inspiration would you give to some ins- aspiring farmers? Or- Don't give up. Just find a different way or a better way of doing something if it goes wrong. Just don't give up. Um, there's always tomorrow to try again. And keep a sense of humour about you. Because um, we, like, I don't need to tell everyone how tough farming is. And that while the good days are amazing and we're soaring high, the bad days can bring us down with a massive thud. So, yeah, find a way of keeping your sense of humour about you and if that means, like, you've got some poor old neighbour who's fed up with you and your banter, that always makes time for you, even if that's all you've got, just to keep you smiling on the bad days, just go for it. Um, it's so important to keep talking to people and to keep um, to keep your chin up. Yeah. Is there a well-worn track to this potential neighbour you may be <laughs> having banter with? <laughs> Is the kettle always on? Yeah, he's on speed dial. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sounds like the perfect neighbour then. <laughs> Actually, there's two of them. <laughs> oh, one either side. <laughs> them <laughs> <laughs> that's great that you yeah that you can uh, you've got them and they are there that's lovely well thank you ever so much i've uh, really enjoyed chatting with you i think there's some oh, lovely some great nuggets of information there um and yeah doing a wonderful job um so so you've got to go off and like go and d- meet the demands of the goats now or are they are they all right for the day uh, no, I need to get the mums and kids in and then put the rest of them out because um, I keep the, the mums with kids at foot separate just so that no one gets knocked about. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah. we're, we're uh, grazing in shifts. <laughs> <laughs> Shift graze. Or is that social distancing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course it is. Oh, I'm so in with the time. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. Yeah, you're so on trend. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, I shall say goodbye and thank you ever so much. Oh, thank you so much for chatting. It's been lovely. Yeah, you take care. And you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.